Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. We try to provide thoughtful conversation about the news of the day and address the existential threats to America. Today, we'll speak with David Gelernter, maybe the most brilliant guy I know. He's right up there in the top three. But first, some things I want to discuss. All right, Claude. What do we got for an email or two? All right. So here's one that I thought was interesting, given today's guest, uh, Mr. Uh, Gelernter. Uh, It comes from Barry, uh, who is emailing us from Minneapolis. I said, I was one of your biggest uh, fans of the morning show, Morning in America. I enjoyed attending your dinner talk in Minneapolis for Salem during uh, that tenure. Uh, He says, uh, and I enjoy the podcast as well. Uh, he says, I wonder what came of the proposed online university. Uh, he says he remembers the discussion uh, and the concept uh, being talked about on the radio show with Professor Galanter, uh more than once. And so maybe this is something we can bring up with him uh, to see if, uh, you know, what's going on with that. He says we have PragerU, of course, and Hillsdale offers its online courses. But what you proposed was something bigger, as I understood it. He says, in any case, keep up the good work. Your sage commentary continues to be most welcome. Okay. Let's ask David about that up front. Maybe just read part of that again to uh, to David, okay? Sure. All right. You got some more? Anything? Anybody making trouble? Yes, see, uh, well, Don, he's not making trouble, but Don's being Don. He says, hey, Bill and Claude, thank you for sharing my email. And no, I don't always disagree with you guys. And then he had a smile face, a laughing emoji. Um, he says, you left out my main point in the email that being that uh, moving our forces onto the periphery of Ukraine and, te- and telling Putin he has one week to return to his own borders. Uh, that said, I want to consider what Bill and you are advocating. This is your point uh, being that if we shoot down Russian planes using our planes, we'll have World War Three or nuclear attack. Yet it is agreed that we can provide stingers uh, that does shoot them down. And it's OK, says that doesn't make a lot of sense. He says, additionally, when China takes Taiwan, we will do nothing except ec- economic sanctions because they have nukes. Uh, what about when Iran has nukes and moves on Israel? What if uh, we threaten sanctions and Iran threatens uh, UAE or the Saudis with a nuclear bomb if we impose sanctions? Ukraine is not the main point. The world is. If we allow this invasion and genocide to continue, we are unleashing hell on the world. By our inaction, uh, we are increasing the chance of World War III, not preventing it. Still my favorite podcast because you both make us think. Uh, God bless you both. Before you comment on this, Bill, I would like to mention that he does not mention Tennessee uh, as his pick for the final in the NCAA men's basketball tournament, even though I have tried to uh, provoke him into doing so by making fun of the pick. He hasn't taken that bait, uh, but <laughs> some more important things. <laughs> Look, Don's main point there, it's not about this or that. It's about the world. It is about the world. It's also about the United States and the protection of the United States. Don, we are in no position to start or react and engage in World War III. We don't have the defense. We don't have the missile defense. Other countries have more. Russia has more missile defense than we do. Now, there's an increase in the budget. Not enough, I don't think. Now, Mike Gallagher says this defense budget increase doesn't mean much, particularly given inflation. It's not going to add much. Our experts, Brian Kennedy and others, think might this might be a decent start, but it's going to take a while to develop uh, a good missile defense. You know, why am I so stuck on that? Because they're going to launch, in World War Three. people are going to launch nuclear weapons at us, at our cities. And we've got to have a defense. I, I agree, too, with Don, that, you know, a lot of them don't care. Russia doesn't care, may not care that it would lose a substantial part of its population. Well, maybe with nuclear strikes, they'd lose less than we would 
because they have more defense capability at the moment. But um, terrible. It's a terrible situation to be in. And it, it's we're in it because we didn't build when we should have back in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s. You know, this this thing was Ronald Reagan was, you know, in the 80s. You know, we are where we are. Yeah, China may move on Taiwan. Absolutely. Uh, Iran may move on Israel. I agree with Don. We're in a tough place. So, Dr. Bill, I'm not really a huge supplement guy. I'm not a protein shake guy. I don't do a lot of vitamins and stuff like that. But my wife's been getting on me. She says you need to eat better, take some supplements, get some vitamins. You're getting older and you've got to watch out for your health. And so I started taking AG1, Athletic Greens. But here's the thing. I didn't really have time to go through a whole regimen of things. Uh, But, yeah, could use more energy. Uh, You know, everyone wants to boost their immune system, especially with the latest pandemic. But I don't really like pills, don't really like vitamins. If I can have a supplement that actually is easy to take, fits into my normal routine and doesn't taste really bad, I'm all for it. So, again, introduced to AG1, decided to give it a try. And here's the thing about it. One scoop of AG1, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what an adaptogen is, but it's in there, and it's to help you start your day right. So this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging, All the things that my wife seems to be worried about when it comes to me and my health. And I'm worried about it, too. I want to make sure that I do things right. So here's how I take my AG1. It comes in a great package. They send you the powdery mix. It's all in the bags and stuff there. But they also send you a water bottle, and it's got the measurements, how many ounces, so you don't have to guess the measurement. You take one serving of the powder, 8 to 12 ounces of water. You shake it up, and then you take it. I do it in the morning, and let me tell you, I do feel more energetic. And I just feel good knowing that the essential vitamins and minerals and all the things that I need to be healthy, I'm consuming it in this one drink. Now, here's the thing about taste. Because that's one of the things I worry about. I'm going to be honest. It's not as if it's cookies and cream ice cream, okay? It's a supplement. It's not coffee with a ton of sugar and hazelnut cream. That's not what it is. It's a supplement. But I will say this. It's the best supplement that I tasted. It just kind of tastes like flavored water a little bit. And that's fine with me. I was actually pleasantly surprised about how it tastes. Now, I actually would recommend this to family and friends, which is why I'm sharing it here on the podcast. Here's the cool thing about it. Number one, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this is good for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. It costs you less than $3 per day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Athletic Greens AG1 was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. So listen, right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Simple and nutritious. One scoop 
in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash bill. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash bill to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let's welcome David Gerlerch on the show. He's a professor of computer science at Yale University, and he's worth listening to, as you will see. How are you, sir? Um, good, thanks. Let's get to it. You are a busy guy. I think we want to start with this, if you don't mind, David. This is not an ambush because it's uh, <laughs> lines you've been talking. But we had an email when we told the audience that you were coming on. We had an email. Claude, would you just read a piece of it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, our friend Barry uh, emailed in and said, they were a big fan of the uh, radio show Morning in America uh, that we did for years. Loved when Bill came to Minneapolis, but remembers anytime we had you on the show, Professor Gelertner, we talked a little bit about an online university, uh, something that Bill was going to do, something you guys had had talked about. Said, of course, you've got PragerU and Hillsdale offers online courses, but I, I think you guys were talking about something bigger, as I understood it, and says, uh, you know, just wanted an update on, on that. Good question. Um, Bill and I and, and others did uh, uh, put some hard work into this proposition um, years ago. It must have been 10 years ago, maybe more, 15 years ago. Um, and uh, I thought what we had was uh, tremendously exciting, not too surprising. But um, we ran into the barrier that so many people have run into, which is funding. And the fact is that although the U.S. is spoken of as a sort of paradise for people who need uh, venture capital or starting capital. Um, the people with the money want to keep it, and their imaginations are, are, are pretty narrow. And anybody with a lot of money uh, who wants to make more wants to follow formulas that have been successful in the past, which is not surprising. They want to fund more companies like the ones that have already made a lot of a lot yeah. of money. Um, this, the university that we worked on was really like nothing out there, certainly like no company. And um, so we did find interest, but um, guarded, hesitant interest. And, and that was a real shame. Um, today, um, uh, we have uh, Dennis Prager's efforts. Um, there, there's a new uh, university under construction called Ralston in South Carolina that uh, had something to do with uh, our ideas, and which is very promising, it seems to me. And um, so it's not as if a thousand new universities have bloomed, uh, but it's a hard problem. It's a hard proposition. And um, some some progress has come out of it. So I regard that as a as a partial victory, at least. And I'm waiting eagerly to see what happens at these places. The idea was in part because we thought, you know, the definition of most universities in America was definition and direction was left, left, left. Right. Not much sign of self-correction here. Right. From what I from what I can tell, um, I did find interesting 
Wall Street Journal yesterday, that is uh, end of end of March, the uh, MIT is going back to the SAT and the ACT. Did you see that? I saw the headline. Dropped, I forgot. To, yeah, right. Yeah, they dropped it. They it's dropped interesting. It, but now they said we're going to do it because it's a great predictor and uh, it helps uh, it helps the poor kids more than anything else because they you know they're not legacy students and so on and so on so good for mit i know it's exactly what it was for to be able to you know to take the less glamorous students and give them some sort of objective test and allow them to shine on the basis of pure talent as opposed to uh, other things i don't think this will start a trend though I wouldn't count on it. Right, let's talk about Yale. Let's get personal here. Uh, about a week or two ago, I saw some video of students. Was it at the law school saying this person can't come and speak? And uh, a, a woman there said, well, wait a minute. We're, we do free speech here at this university. And she was shouted down. Um, can you tell us what, any more about that? Um, what you said are the facts as I understand them. They're particularly vividly disgraceful as as going on to law school, um, where people are supposed to know something about the Constitution of the United States. Um, but I, but I think these are these are the inevitable consequences of sowing the wind. I mean, we've taught these kids nothing. I see this in my undergraduate classes when I ask about. It was just the last class yesterday, uh, the word rubric came up. Uh, one, one guy in a class of 35 or, or, so, or, or some 40 maybe had a general idea of what a rubric was. And, and naturally, one brings up uh, the Book of Common Prayer. And no one had the biggest idea of what that referred to or um, anything associated with it. And the fact is, you cannot progress in education if you don't have a, a large stock of maybe not so large, but a certain stock of of important words are going and milestones are going to come up. Whether you're in computer science or or theoretical physics or history, you've got to know you've got to know what these fundamental milestones of, of civilization are. And we're not teaching them, of course. You know, this has been a problem for decades. We have done nothing about it. And as a result, we're throwing these kids away. They're very smart. They yeah. work They work tremendously hard to get into Yale. How do they get into Yale if they don't know what rubric means in the Book of Common Prayer? I'm thinking of E.D. Hirsch, cultural literacy, right? They don't, right. They don't have any touchstones here, or, or not very many. How'd they get into Yale then? Um, they did well on the tests. Um Yale used to lean heavily on the SATs and associated tests, which have very, which are very, very good predictors. They had top school grades, you know, all A's, A pluses. They had first rate re- recommendations, teachers saying, boy, this kid is amazing. And, you know, you'd be crazy not to take him and so forth. I mean, there are no bad recommendations, but sure. they vie w- with each other in their level of uh, incredible hyperbole. So it uses questionable information or or even bad information. Um, however, the the students we're looking for, I would be looking for, are not out there. St- 
students who uh, are educated to the level at which college students should enter college. I mean, when you're about to become a freshman at Yale or any college and university in the country, and generally speaking, the Western world, uh, it used to be assumed that you knew <laughs> you knew what a high school student, what a graduating high school graduate should know, but they do not. And for decades, we've just accepted it and shrugged our shoulders. Occasionally, faculty members will joke to each other about my guys didn't know this and my guys didn't know that. But this is a withering condemnation of of Yale University and the entire Ivy League and the entire college and university system in this country, the entire education system, the schools also, not only the colleges. And, you know, we've said this so many times, and, and these complaints go back so many years, and they have resulted in a little bit of motion, for which I'm grateful. These these uh, few new colleges that are attempting, uh, attempting to do new things, um, when we made our big push, we put lots of time and effort into that, Lord knows, and... Um, we couldn't we we really couldn't move it forward and the country is getting what it deserves it's getting brilliant young minds that are completely empty and i mean they really have to go back to kindergarten and learn again what they were supposed to learn there um but instead they'll all go out and get jobs and hedge funds or whatever it is they'll make huge amounts of money or they'll do whatever they like. They'll go to med school or law school or uh, architecture school, and we will eventually enter them into American adult life as ignorant as a seven-year-old. It's um, And the people who do that are themselves, have themselves gone to school, m- most of them, in recent decades and themselves know nothing. So it's... Uh, it's a it's a desperate situation, but um, America is just not interested, and I'm afraid. Yes, yeah. To learn the hard way. What's that hard way? I mean, I, I, I keep thinking about how we are in math and science, like 25th in the world. Uh, and there was a story just a couple of days ago about how uh, more kids are taking more advanced science math classes in high school and uh, doing better on them. But the name, uh, which I love, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, says uh, – we actually know less. Our students know less than they did a few years ago. It's not making it. So we're 25th, 26th in the world. We're also you know, screwing around with critical race theory. What sex do you want to be? Blah, blah, blah. Um, how do you feel on all that stuff? Meanwhile, the Chinese are number one in the world. Is is that how it's going to turn out? Look around. These these results should be headlines in every major newspaper in the country. The uh, U.S. comes in 26th, and the Chinese are number one in this particular assessment. Um, uh, you know, I, I, this um, idiocy about um, what sex do you want to be? And I mean, this is sheer, this is beyond preposterous. It, I don't believe even the its strongest proponents take it seriously. This is just leftist fun and games. Um, I have every reason to believe that the large, not huge majority of the country thinks it is garbage, but um, 
they've been they've accepted passivity over many decades in which the schools have gone to hell, sort of deliberately trashed themselves. And they've um, come to take it for granted that there's nothing they can do. You know, we've seen some we've seen some uh, action in recent years in that Virginia school district and in other places where at least um, objections are being voiced. And um, even what happened in Virginia, you know, we have this uh, unbelievable incident of uh, of Merrick. Garland uh, writing a letter seeming to suggest that those parents who were objecting were the enemy. Did he really mean they were domestic terrorists? I, I don't know. But the point is, it was a disgraceful letter. However, you interpret the details. Um, if we put if if we people the establishment uh, with persons such as Merrick Garland, uh, we will sink. I mean, every time he opens his mouth, we sink. And that's true of many people in the administration. So, you know, it was obvious to so many people. The vote went, seems to have gone against uh, Trump. And uh, people wanted Biden for certain reasons. He would be a centrist. He would be a calming influence, a unifying influence. Uh, the left has has treated all that as if it didn't exist. Um the 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 journalism stomped Trump, whether you like him or not. I mean, he's certainly not the most likable person on earth, but he had a remarkable administration in which remarkable things were accomplished. But but people learn these things from from the press, from newspapers, and I think probably more from TV news or casual cultural references to it. And uh, the real underlying problem is uh, the press. Um, our journalism schools, uh, we know very smart people enter the doors of journalism schools and they come out morons. They have, you yeah. know, been propagandized heavily. Well, um, I wonder if the, the stupidity of the ignorance manifests itself in other ways that are explicitly palpably dangerous. Um, one of the other emails we read this morning uh, David, before you came on, was from our friend Don, who writes every week. And he said, well, why is Bill so reluctant to push for a no-fly zone, <laughs> you know, in Ukraine? Yeah. And my answer was, because I fear World War Three, And I fear World War Three because, in fact, according to my friend experts, uh, Russia has more missile defense capability than we do. Uh, they took it more seriously than we did. Right. Uh, and that, whether we're talking about that or Taiwan, um, you know, we have to be very careful that in the defense of Ukraine, we don't lose New York or Washington or Dallas. Yeah, absolutely right. We we are impotent more or less in Ukraine. Uh, we have the power in an abstract sense to. Uh, to make a difference, but we don't dare use it because because we have neglected the basic elements of national life, national security, protecting the population, protecting the nation. Uh, so I, I, been shrugged off for so long, um, and one one remembers the reaction to uh, to Reagan's original speech. 
Um, people laughed him off the stage. Luckily, he wasn't going off the stage, but the entire established mainstream thought it was hilarious. It was obviously impossible and idiotic anyway. Um, we have a big problem with our reporters and journalists, um, with the cultural mainstream, which we've known about for years. Um, we don't, we should be launching uh, counter left-wing institutions. Uh, I've mentioned a few times uh, Twitter, which was developed, uh, invented at Yale by me and Eric Freeman, who was a graduate student at the time, and uh, was was certainly not intended as a vehicle for hitting the you, country over the head with nonsensical left-wing ideas. The point you is... Invented it. You invented yes, it. Yes, I invented it, patented it, uh, it was written up a lot in a form called Life Streams. It was more powerful than Twitter, but a subset of that software did exactly what Twitter did. It was more powerful and also simpler. Uh, you can look it up. Um, but the point is, it was easy to do. If, if you can get software up and running with uh, one fantastically talented graduate student, Eric Freeman was one of the best programmers in the country. We were very lucky to have him. We had other people in our group who were tremendously good, but it was a small group, a small university group got the thing up and running. In a week, we could have uh, another Twitter. And, you know, a a big deal has been made about this for weeks and months and and Trump's new Twitter and, and other people's ideal new Twitters. Instead of talking about it, go and do it. I mean, it takes a certain amount of money to get the people to write the code, but it's no big deal. I mean, it's simple software and it is unforgivable that we don't have something like that online because a non-left-wing Twitter would appeal to a huge audience, much larger than today's left-wing Twitter, which is gradually revealing its true colors. People don't like it. I mean, you tried, haven't others tried to get in this space and, and, compete but i've had no no luck or insufficient luck i keep hearing of efforts hey you know do this go here don't go to twitter go here yeah um I, to be honest i see the steps very clearly but i've had so many bitterly disappointing experiences in the money raising world that uh, in the end, yeah. I really have no more time and energy to do it. Yeah. I certainly yeah. back anybody who did it 100%. No, I'm not asking you to do it. It seems to me there are others who make efforts to get yeah. these startup, competitive startup things yeah. to Twitter and Facebook, but they don't, they don't seem to catch on. Well, the software that I've seen is not well designed. I mean, if you look at Facebook, for example, it's a pigsty. I mean, it's one of the uh, uh, laziest, most chaotic systems of any kind I've ever seen. If somebody wanted to develop a, a better, cleaner Facebook, it would take a week, you know, to come up with a better system and longer to implement it, of course. But it's a huge opportunity because the existing software is so popular and yet is so bad. Um, uh, Twitter is better, and yet it has completely unnecessary limitations. I mean, our version not only has the present and the past, it also has the future. And the future of a Twitter stream 
turns out to be enormously useful. People put their calendars and appointments there. They put uh, uh, newspaper pieces. They don't have time to read today, but they want to read tomorrow. I mean, there are loads and loads of things that people use just that one idea for. Uh, Twitter is uh, is tremendously idea shy, lacking in new ideas, uh, and so is Facebook. And, and in a way, you can't blame them. I mean, you have a new company. It, it makes uh, dozens of people multimillionaires or billionaires. The last thing you want to do is tinker with this brilliant engine of, of money getting. Yeah. All right. Um, back to education, just a couple of things to catch up. That ruckus I talked about at Yale was at Yale Law School about two months ago. We interviewed the dean, Tony Cronman, who was two years behind me at Williams uh, College and majored in philosophy as I did. I got to know him. And he, he sounded very much like you. Um, yeah, he's a very, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I don't know him well, but he's an impressive guy. Okay, okay. He's on level then. Okay. Yeah. But um, I wish he had intervened in that situation and said, right. God, no, this is Yale Law School and we're going to have free speech here. It's nowhere else. Yeah, he never seems to do anything, but uh, his heart is in the right place. Uh, I, I, I don't know. He's probably bound by a million regulations or official, you know, guidelines as to what he's allowed to do, but it would be but nice like, if yeah, it were Yale different. Just, Yale just has more of its share of goofiness, it seems to me. Everything from, you know, throwing students out who wear sombreros on Halloween to, you know, <laughs> to, I, I don't I don't understand. Uh, some of that was really sad. I mean, some a master of a house and, and his spouse or her spouse had to leave. And, right. you know, pretty ugly. People get people get canceled, I guess, at Yale. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, occasion, occasionally people who are here and more often people who have been invited and are expected are, um, you know, disinvited in, uh, in a really ugly way. Let's talk about some bright spots. I mean, first education. Those folks in Loudoun County kind of started a revolution, Virginia. And I I did some work and worked with the governor elect, uh, Youngkin. And that was a, that was a good and big surprise. It seems to me that election. And then we have what was extraordinary. Uh, one really needed a, a shot in the arm of some, some good news. And that was certainly good news. And then my wife keeps getting calls from friends in Florida who say, you and Bill must move to the United States of Florida. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pretty, pretty impressive what's going on there under the leadership of uh, Ron DeSantis, who I know very well. He was the, the, the most uh, the visitor from Congress we had on most often on, on Morning in America radio show. We got to know him and like him. And Boy, I think he's done a really, really good job. Now he's now he's at war with Disney, which is a, a formidable opponent. But um, you know, it, 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 there's not. Oh, much he is a formidable governor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, are there stirrings? Uh, you know, the American. I talk about the American capacity for self renewal. The, the antibodies kick in, or are they kicking in? I mean, look at the numbers on Biden. I mean, it looks to be like Biden is just doing everything he can, wittingly or not, to destroy the country. Yeah. Uh, but but people are reacting, and and they're very angry with him and upset with him. That that seems to me to be a good sign, no? Absolutely. But you know, we've seen this before. Um, periods in which it seems that the electorate clearly is conservative more than liberal. 
and many on the line. Um, and yet, uh, when the elections arrive, they usually uh, they usually don't favor conservatives to the extent that one might have thought, not given the polls exactly, but given the mood of the country as one sees it. And one has to remember that most people uh, really don't give a damn about politics and they don't think about it. They think about it in election season when they see all these ads and the ads that uh, rich leftists uh, fund are just all over the airwaves and the fact is, many people use them for information. They don't use an obviously corrupt source for information. Uh, they, we are we are sponsoring this uh, uh, corrupt, uninterested, apathetic, passive view of politics by not teaching our college students anything. For many years, Yale undergraduates got the New York Times delivered to their dorm rooms every single. And, um, you know, if if everything we do tends to push them to the left, they'll go to the left and and the country in general in general. Also, I, I mean, I think it's a strength that in this country that so many people do not care for politics. Um, you don't right. have to worry about an, an armed coup two weeks from now. Um, uh, Biden makes a fool of himself and of the country, but we know there will be an election and midterm elections. Uh, it's good that we don't have to, that most people don't think about it at all, but it's getting to the point where their um, their basic trust is no longer justified. I mean, I think if, if you see beginning what happened in the last election um, and how discussions of vote fraud were aggressively suppressed by the conservative mainstream, which was, to me, uh, shocking. The most shocking thing of all, we, you know, you know there's hard evidence. Um, uh, my two boys and a friend of theirs worked on this very hard after the election. They came up with these curves that, that show... Um, that show the actual reported votes for Pennsylvania or Connecticut, whatever they're looking at, just way out of line, nowhere near a statistical graph that has any meaning. They couldn't possibly be right. Now, you do need to know something about statistics to understand the graph, but you could learn that in 15 minutes. It's not like it's deep mathematics here. It's just straightforward. But this information was suppressed. Um, you didn't see it in the Wall Street Journal, or I didn't see it, which is really the main main street for for conservative news. You didn't see it on Fox TV, which has uh, some many first grade people on, no question about it, but uh, not necessarily straightforward about the topics it chooses to report. Every medium has to make choices, but the choices that the conservative mainstream has made have been um, completely unsatisfactory, uh, dangerous and damning in a way that they should uh, repeatedly shy away from information about the basic health of the nation and the electorate and the basic character of the left. These are unpleasant things to discuss when they're negative. But if we don't discuss them, the result is clear. Do you think the election was stolen? As far as I can see, uh, a serious attempt was made to steal it. Um, I don't know if it succeeded or not. It might be. 
I mean, Trump was never terribly popular in a personal way. Um, I mean, he's kind of an abrasive person. Evidently, I mean, I don't know him well, but it comes across. He's an abrasive person. I can see the country voting against him because Biden is so soothing and, and anodyne. Uh, but I don't know because the information wasn't published. Loads of information was accumulated um, as to uh, evidently fraudulent vote counts all over the place. Yeah, uh, it was supposed to be discussed in Congress on the sixth of January, but more important, it should have been discussed everywhere in the ser- among serious conservatives, and it was not. Partly because I people have this. I don't understand why why um, the, the Supreme Court didn't get more involved when it seemed to me, for example. Uh, in Pennsylvania, there was a clear violation of the Constitution in terms of, you know, how those votes were counted and delivered and um, who was in charge. And, you know, it went to the Supreme Court and they turned it down. That's um, pretty conservative Supreme Court, too. Yeah, so but would, we know that the Chief Justice has this um, almost yeah. fanatic unwillingness to comment on yeah. issues. Yeah. And that's been yeah. dangerous. It's been a, a tragedy in many cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prospects for the country. Um, am I hitting the right ones or not? People ask me, "Are you optimistic or pessimistic?" And I say, "I am the- I'm, I am theoretically pessimistic. I'm with Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah. You can correct me. It's all wind Absolutely. and ashes. Yeah. In the end, it's all wind and ashes. You know everything that we construct. But operationally, I'm a pet of an optimist. You know, I, Irving Kristol used to talk about this." The Soviet generals, when they were on the march, you know, as they were shaving in the morning, they would say, how can we advance today? You know, (laughs) and that's sort of the way when I get up in the morning, what can I do today to advance the cause? Um, And and the the main cause that I'm interested in, you know, every anthropologist loves his own tribe and I love I love mine is education. I just I just don't see how we can do anything meaningful or positive for the future unless we get the education system right. I just, you know, I, there was a book called Submission. Do you know this book or the French book? Um, I think I've heard of it, but I haven't read any of it. Well, I've never seen right. it, actually. It's about a radical Islamic takeover of France. But oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, right. But the point is, they, they, you know, there's a certain appeal about having several wives and things like that, but but the real point is when they when they get a voting plurality and they get to choose in government, they don't choose defense or budget. The first department they choose to control is the Ministry of Education. You know, give us right. give us that. And I'll so, I, you know, I mean, I mean am, I, am I biased, just biased because this is where I live and this is where I've been trained? But it does seem to me if we, if we get it, if we get it all wrong in the schools, um, I, it's very, it seems to me very hard to remedy. I couldn't agree with you more. We we have an emergency tool, a break glass, an emergency tool that we ought to be using uh, to tide us over, namely software. Um, I am the last to be enthusiastic about uh, uh, software teaching. Um, whenever that happens, a child is learning less than he would if he were in an actual classroom with an actual teacher. But when the actual teachers you have refuse to teach what needs to be taught, yeah, uh, then you need to use software and not the junk that we saw during the uh, the virus term, during the, the COVID term, which is just patched together by 
people with no imagination um, who really didn't care, evidently, one way or another, Facebook people. I, not that Facebook was guilty for this, but I, it, it could be done. It is amazing. It is amazing that we're not even talking about it. And um, what should we be talking about, if not that? Providing schools for our children, because we know we are failing to teach them important things about who they are, who this nation is, what this nation is, where it came from, what it's for. We're, we're just not teaching them. And we didn't teach their parents either. And they don't seem to have any, and their friends and teachers, their parents, nobody seems to be pushing them to learn for themselves. We're not teaching them in school. They aren't taking the initiative to learn for themselves. Um, it's uh, It's a disaster and we can see the effects of the disaster uh, not as not as severely yet as we will see them um, but we will unquestionably see our engineering and our science overtaken um, and that will happen largely because foreign graduate students will go other places um, but, but but let me give you some good news or at least I think so uh, one thing COVID did was reveal, you know, what was going on. And a lot of parents, even though they may not have had a good education, said, wait a minute, what the hell is that? You know, that's not why they're in school. Yeah. And we've seen this rush to homeschooling, to classical education, classical academies, Christian schools. Um, I mean, the unions really showed who they were during this COVID period. I mean, just ridiculous behavior and maybe influencing the government and CDC and all about, you know, school closings. Well, I guess they just wanted a permanent vacation, but the teachers (laughs) union certainly didn't come off very well. But, but, but I want to focus on the positive part. People are saying we want good schools and we want schools to teach, you know, the real, the real things. I, I, even, even though that parental generation may not have been well-educated, I, I do think it has a, a, a lot of that generation has a sense of what the right things are to be taught. Yeah. I may not know them, but I think you should know them, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. Which is a lot better than nothing in a parenthood and um, is invaluable. But um, there there is a certain passivity or or lackadaisical quality to this um, displeasure. I think the virus was great in the sense that it, it kicked lots of action, people into action when they, who had long thought the schools were a joke, but they were busy and they didn't really have time. When when the problems really presented to them close up, lots of them, lots of them saw what the problem is. I wish, I wish I had the feeling that more um, charter schools and Christian schools and new schools of all, of all sort were, were going up in New England. I mean, in this general area, which is important. Oh, no, oh, no. You're, you're, lo- you're lost up there. Right. It's pretty blue where you are. Yeah. And, and it, I, don't, sure it is. I don't think it's easy to change from, from it, including the schools. But there is this other big country out there, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, a lot, of, a lot of change seems to be going on there. I, 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 this is a long way of me asking you. I told you where I am. You know, are you with Isaiah? Are, are you are, long run and and about America? Are you optimistic or pessimistic in the short run, middle run, long run? I couldn't be more optimistic in the middle and 
and the long run. This country has come through serious crises, particularly in in the 20th century, but also, of course, in the 19th. Crises bring out the best in us. Uh, Americans have always been... Let me interrupt. Does it take a crisis to bring out the best of us? I sometimes think so. Well, yeah, it does. And um, it's not that surprising. I mean, we uh, we aren't Frenchmen discussing the ins and outs of po- uh, politics over our croissant every day. Maybe, you know, it's not a bad yeah. habit in a way in, in France, no, but sure. we are not interested in politics. And so it does take something big to mobilize us. Okay, go ahead. So so the reason for your optimism in the middle and, and long run? Well, it's partly in, uh, look, look at a small thing, it's partly in seeing my boys migrate to Florida for long periods, and then they come back to us. Um, Josh, being a, a writer, can write wherever he likes, and um, Daniel previously had sort of a flexible I- employment, too. Um, they were drawn to Florida, and um, and many others are also. For one thing, it's, it's simple little things. Uh, Daniel was the captain of the, um, of the target shooting team. Uh, captain or you know at Yale and just to uh just to be able to take a gun and shoot at targets yeah. which is a lot of fun it's a very normal activity is a huge production in in Connecticut as if it were some special privilege for which you had to qualify by elaborate background checks and letters of recommendation about your yeah. character I, I mean what kind of nonsense is this it's just you know, as if my boys are dangerous when they have their pistols or their rifles. I mean, this is just sheer idiocy, and yet people know it's idiocy. Um, when they go to a gun store around here, they find a lot of people who are of all sorts and of all races who are mad as hell. But there are, but there are more than though. If you talk to parents in this uh, comfortable, uh, apathetic suburb, but a nice suburb. Uh, many of them are uh, are mad as hell also. They don't see what direction to go in. Um, they don't have uh, an organizing issue like the Ludon County people. They need a leader. They need somebody to, to stand up and give some speeches and and lead. I mean, that's, uh, that's not right. so much to ask. And there are people who could do it, but it's a tall order to, to leave your own life and, and go instead to the podiums. I mean, you certainly are an expert at this and it's, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do it all the time, clearly. So we're still waiting for somebody who can make a good speech. It doesn't have to be Churchill. Somebody who can make a, a good, reasonable speech with some emotion in it also. Not as he's just reciting uh, an obituary. Um, I, I think he would find an audience. I think the audience is there. The audience is waiting to be galvanized, and nobody's galvanized. But they know that they, at least they know things are, are are in trouble in Connecticut too. It really, I think absolutely. Okay. I mean, Connecticut voters have the idea that there is no political party but the Democrats. I mean, it's um, yeah. it's habit. It's been knocked into their heads uh, for generations. But there are plenty of reasonable people around here who, if somebody would get up there and say something different, 
And this is what I see among undergraduates at Yale. They are all automatically uh, left, far left. Um, however, if you if you actually talk to them about the issues and give them some facts and reason with them, many are willing to reconsider. You know, I don't know what the long term prospects are. They may give that all up and go back to the left as soon as they get out of Yale. But they're flexible at at this age. And we're not taking advantage of the flexibility of, of teenagers and young adults. Um, it's there, it's available, and uh, we're not using it. But we could. I think, I think we will. I mean, we need a leader, and that's not so much to ask. We'll get one. Yeah, Maybe not a perfect I, one. but yeah, In my view, Connecticut is not any more liberal than New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and New Jersey almost flipped without anybody paying any attention to it, including Republicans. Yeah. They all threw out their liberal Democrat governor to, to an unknown guy. I, a guy who I don't think could command the stage and, and, and do something, but he represented alternatives, you know, to closing down everything. That's absolutely true. There are strong conservative pockets in Connecticut. Uh, the, the entire farmland, which is most of the state, upstate and uh, to the east, um, in lot, lots of places outside the cities, which in Connecticut are are hardly formidable institutions, but uh, outside of Bridgeport and New Haven and Hartford, there there clearly is a lot of the old-fashioned type of sentiment that you used to associate with Maine. I mean, why can't Maine just go back to being Maine? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of such thought in New England. People were attached to tradition. Um, they, they, they were attached to the story of the founding of this nation because so much of it happened here and there's so much history all around us i mean driving to to driving from the outskirts of the city to the middle of new haven you pass several 17th century houses um several 18th century houses by american standards these are tremendously old and they uh there's an old graveyard and these sorts of things are all over new england and people see them they're there they see them they think about them it sets the stage but again i think somebody has to get up and say that and it's it is like new jersey in a lot of ways um and maybe it's just a matter not of a brilliant speaker but of a a decent strong candidate um the republican party in connecticut is in is in tatters traditionally and has not been capable of producing uh, reasonable candidates that could change it's you know it's not set in stone it's not the people so much as as what they hear it's the press it's the reporters i'm still hearing the obstacles i'm not hearing the reasons for your midterm and long-term optimism um my reasons are the are the the american people themselves they are they don't like to be bossed around. They will not take take it lying down if people start bossing them around. They intrinsically dislike it. I think that's even true for many leftists. Um, it's it, it's a nation with a with a history of strength of of strength of character among the citizens. Now there's a lot of change among the citizenry today, but uh, newcomers tend to absorb what old residents have and the way they think. And um, this country, in refusing to take things lying down, in being proud of its history, and the left has done a lot to chip away at that. But there's but there is residual pride. 
in the kind of man George Washington was and Abraham Lincoln. Uh, people know about these persons. Uh, they know about the Revolutionary War in a general way. It all rings a bell, and it's important to people. They may be lapsing into ignorance, but they still remember the the um, extraordinary accomplishments of the country. You can't eliminate that. You can't erase that in, in a generation or a few decades. It's uh, it's deep and it's all around us. You know, where does one put one's work? Where does one put one's time? You know, you have a job and you have to teach computer science at Yale. Um, and I am now sort of out of a job, but I'm busier than I've ever been. And so I'm trying to pick my shots. And other than picking a few shots I need to sustain you know, my, my life and my house and, you know, <laughs> a living, um, I'm trying to decide where, you know, where to put my energy. Um, you have advice for me? Well, I have always uh, seen you as the chairman of a sort of uh, consulting committee of, of mixed and varying um, uh, membership of uh, Republican uh, cultural leaders, educational leaders, business leaders, 10, 15 people who get together informally and think about strategy. What can we what can we do in the next election? How do we what do we do about the press? What do we do about the school? So at least there's some place where these thoughts are kicked around and 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 developed. Um, the the Republican Party, Republicans in the country, conservatives in the country need leadership, um, need someone who will give them a direction uh, the left doesn't really need that. The left always knows what to do, which is to go left. But uh, Republicans being more thoughtful need somebody to um, uh, to exercise some intellectual authority, to give them ideas, to say, uh, why don't we do this? Let me tell you about charter schools. There, Some states are very well known. Other states, nobody's heard about. Nobody's ever heard of them. Or, or let me tell you about the advantage of religious schools. Or let me tell you how we could change our colleges if we really wanted to. We need people saying that. And, you know, of course... Of course, you have to uh, you have many things going on in your life and you have to make a living. But if I had to vote, I think the most important thing you could do would be to uh, be an agitator and a leader of the conservative part of the country, which is uh, uh, willing to listen and willing to shake things up um, and really just need somebody to say, go ahead and do it. Okay. Does it strike you? I've been doing that or not been doing that? Absolutely, you've been doing it. That's okay. why. That's right. why you've got to be the chairman of this committee because you've had All some right. experience doing it. All right. Enough. Enough about me. Um, we're grateful for you, David. We're grateful for you and what you do. Well, the whole country is grateful to you, and uh, I appreciate it. I mean, I know these things are not automatic. Uh, you know, if you're if you go around making speeches, there are other things you can't be doing. And uh, I know how much time and energy you put into these projects. I mean, I don't know the sum of it, but I, I've seen some of it, and I know it's formidable. And that contribution is appreciated. Well, you're kind. And uh, you're, as I say to people, you are a national resource, and we're glad you're there. We thank you very much. 
Squad, that pretty much does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. We'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Next week.